indeed uh, our next week in My Daily Battle. Uh, the first week we took a look at depression, uh, how that can be a real intense struggle for many people. Second week, Jeremy uh, did a wonderful job in walking us through sexual temptation, uh, one that uh, was uh, selected in our survey by, by many people, that, that this is something that they wrestle with every single day. Last week, uh, we talked about anxiety, that people are overtaken and overwhelmed by anxiety in their life. And uh, our next one is anger, anger. Uh, and somehow, uh, I'm sure you can see that there are connections to many of these, right? Like, uh, oftentimes, anxiety can lead to anger, and anger can lead to kind of a meltdown and therefore depression. So oftentimes, these things kind of work hand in hand, okay? So here we are, one of the top six struggles, at least according to our big-time survey that we did, of 150 respondents uh, told us that anger was something that they've wrestled with. Now here's the deal. The scriptures speak to us about the reality of anger. Anger in our heart and anger that expresses itself in certain behaviors, okay? So what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that God knows exactly what we're dealing with. God knows the nature of our struggle. And what does that mean that he continues to speak to these very issues? Uncovering our sin and also revealing his righteousness. What does this mean? That he cares a lot about what we're struggling with. He's not distant. He's not absent. He cares deeply. And he cares to the extent that he wants to bring us hope and healing. In the midst of our daily battles. Isn't that wonderful news? That's wonderful news. And so here we are today. Asking the question. Is anger your daily battle? Is this what you wrestle with? Maybe you're not your first check box. But maybe the second check box. Something that you deal with. On an everyday basis. Now here's. What I'm hoping to be able to accomplish here today. If the answer to that question is yes, to provide hope, to provide healing, to provide remedy for something that could be destroying you. And at the same time, if you answer no, uh, you might be surprised to find out today that actually yes, you do have an anger issue. And that our anger issue that we have runs a lot deeper than we might realize. It's pervasive. And it's way more than just slamming a door here and there or getting a little flustered when somebody's tailgating you. There's much more at stake. And so this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're used to having a main scripture that we look at and focus in on and maybe add a few here and there. Well, this morning, I call this, as corny as it is, a scripture shower, okay? Y'all are dirty up in this mug, and we're going to shower you with scriptures, okay? We're going to expose you to uh, uh, all of, well, not all of it, but I'll, pretty close to all the direct things uh, regarding anger. So the first passage I want to call you to is Ephesians 4. We will refer to it a couple of times. Uh, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses uh, 26 and 27. Now understand this, the context of this passage is that Paul is writing to the Ephesian Christians. Uh, people who have already heard and responded to the gospel, they have received a new identity. They have a new heart. They've been transformed 
on the inside. And yet, like many of you, like me, they still wrestle with sin. They still struggle. And this is what Paul is saying to them based on their new identity, based on the spirit that is living inside of them. He says this, verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Anger addressed dead on, directly in the scriptures in this verse. But before we get going in that regard, what is anger? What do I mean by that? You would expect there to be maybe a a real straightforward answer to this, but as you read you find that there are many ways to express a definition of anger. There are many ways to illustrate it. Well, uh, we always go to our best friend Webster in this regard. So Webster says that anger is a strong feeling induced by displeasure. A strong feeling that is produced by displeasure. And our friends at Psychology Today, oh yes, said this, First, anger is an SOS signal. It simply says, something is wrong here. Please help. That's what they're saying anger is. They go on to say that anger is excessive distress. Right? Uh, it's, 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 It's too muchness. It's too much stimulation. We'll begin to talk a little bit more about why that's the case. But the the, uh, definition that I found to be most profound and yet most short and simple was from a book by David Paulison. And if I could recommend a book this week, I would recommend David Paulison's book, Good and Angry. Pick it up. Good and Angry, David Paulison. Extremely helpful. Extremely helpful. He says this, at its core, anger is very simple. It expresses, I'm against that. That's really simple, isn't it? I'm against that. That's what anger is. He goes on to say, it's an active stance you take to oppose something that you assess as both important and wrong. You notice something, size it up, and conclude. That matters, and it's not right. I'm against that. You tracking with me? Good. I thought that was helpful. Now, you may have seen the last couple years with the political scene. Okay, I'm not going to get up here and promote or deny anything. I'm just saying that if you got involved at all in watching the campaigning, If you noticed at all what was taking place, uh, no matter what end of the spectrum you fall on, you just being a a casual observer would have noticed that people are ticked. Is that an overstatement? That people are ticked off. That at rallies, people are mad. They're frustrated. They're angry. They're against that. Right? Right? Uh, If you watched Fox, you realize that they are versus CNN. And if you watch CNN, they are versus Fox. Everything was versus. 
Because no matter where you would fall, you would be against something or some other political ideology. The language, the rhetoric, the whole thing was about we as Americans are angry people. Maybe that's an overstatement because that's just what the media wanted us to see. But I don't think so. I think we're an angry people. That our anger runs much deeper than we might want to admit or realize. What about when you're driving ever so cautiously because you're a Christian, you're driving near a work zone or a school zone, and you're 10 and 2, you're serving Jesus, you're minding your own business, you're watching it everywhere, trying to discern if there's any children that are going to bolt out into the road or any guys wearing hats that are, right? Because you're a Christian, right? And then all of a sudden there's this guy behind you literally in the back seat with his car, honking his horn, yelling, and everything, like all of his gestures need some sort of sensor and blurring, if you know what I'm talking about. And his face is red because you're going the speed limit. Has that been your experience as a Christian? Some of you are like, yeah, Mike, I saw that last week. That guy was actually you behind me. Um, yeah, well, you know, what do you want from me? This, I checked this box, okay? I checked this box. Road rage. I'm being somewhat comical and lighthearted about it, but it's actually a real problem, isn't it? Road rage. You see, people are crazy on the roads. They're nuts. They're angry. To get a little bit more personal, um, I, I think that you'll notice when you talk to people, and I've seen this in pastoral ministry a lot, that, that people that come into your office uh, and talk to you and sit down with you really are struggling with deep-seated anger and frustration. And again, to pick one source, oftentimes you'll, you'll dig below the surface and you'll find out that, for, that, that the part of their history is uh, the truth that daddy never looked at them and said, I love you. Or, or dad, dad never looked at you and said, I'm proud of you. And that really oftentimes mom or dad or someone very important to them would, would, would basically say you're worthless. Right? This is what we call, man, they've got daddy issues, right? So there are deep personal, relational struggles that have, that have wounded people, and they walk through life just bringing that with them, wrestling with that, embittered by it, struggling with, with a, a lack of ability to forgive and to be healed. They're just wounded. And so now uh, their kids wonder, why doesn't daddy say, I love you? Why doesn't daddy say I'm proud to you? Because that cycle just continues to be repeated time and time again. And then you see how some of this anger leads to the most uh, 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 unthinkable acts of like crimes of rage and passion, right? You think about the mass shootings that have taken place from Columbine all the way to Connecticut. We have an anger problem that runs very deep, deeper than we might want to admit. It's very real, it's very personal, it's very powerful, and it's very destructive. And these anger issues can what? Leave us with a lack of peace. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Right? That is, pursue peace. Pursue reconciliation. Don't even go to bed. You can't sleep in peace until you've pursued reconciliation. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't let him grab a hold of your foot. Right? Because our anger issue 
uh, does, to, can destroy relationships and give the devil an opportunity. It's a serious thing. Not only that, we have an anger problem that does not bring about good. It does not bring about the righteousness of God. James chapter 1, verse 19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. When somebody upsets you, when you're against what someone has done to you, your reaction is to bring balance to justice. This wasn't right. I'm going to do something, right? It's, it's a punitive, a reactionary response. That's what we want to do. And so we think that our anger, our sinful anger, is going to bring about the righteousness of God, or at least a, a sense of our own self-righteousness. But he's saying it doesn't do that. Right? Two wrongs don't make a what? Right. There's a Dave Mazieism for you. Two wrongs don't make a right. He has many other ones if you're interested in hearing about my dad's one-liners. Mike Becker and I, we constantly talk about them. You know, you don't like my sandwiches? Like, go to Wegmans. What do you want from me? Go to Wegmans. Go to Wegmans. So one of them was two wrongs don't what? Make a right. Definitely. Absolutely. We have an anger problem that leaves us liable to God's judgment. I think this is an increasing uh, nature, just this becomes problematic. Even Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and who says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is saying this anger problem that you have is a major issue. And if it's not dealt with, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you are liable to judgment. And if it grabs a hold of you so intensely that you're liable to the fires of hell, that this has eternal significance for us, anger. It's a big deal. It's not something to just brush away. It's something to deal with and recognize. Proverbs 19.19 says, A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. And if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Wow. That anger can grab a hold of us, and when it does, we will pay the penalty. What's the source of our problems? What really causes this? Well, I've got to be honest. That one of the most uh, wonderful things that I, I learned this week in regard to this was a, a teaching of Tim Keller in one of his sermons called The Healing of Anger. He talks about uh, St. August, uh, Augustine, uh, he talks about the fact that uh, Augustine said this. He said, the biggest problem we have is disordered loves. He said the source of our anger is actually a love issue. Right? Uh, uh, we, we have disordered loves. That is, when we are angry, right? We're against that when we believe that something that we love is being threatened or taken away by something or someone else. Right? We're going to talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. He says we turn good things into ultimate things. We don't just love things that are good, but we look to things to provide what only God can provide. And when we love things more than God, we lose our emotions when it's threatened. And so what Tim Keller, uh, speaking on St. Augustine, says is that really our sinful anger is idolatrous. It's, it's, it's idolatry. It's disordered. 
Uh, right? So uh, really what he's saying is that anger is not an original emotion. That the reason we have anger is because it's an expression of something that we hold dear that is being threatened or at stake. So the original emotion behind anger is actually love. The problem with us as human beings is that our love is disordered. And so therefore, we are sinfully angry because something that we value more than God or more than other people is being threatened or is at stake. I think that's pretty profound. It makes a lot of sense to me. And so we come to the realization that we have really a disordered heart, disordered affections, disordered loves, and when we get angry, it's because someone or something is threatening something that we value very much. Think on that. Think on that. It's, I think it's quite deep and true, and I think it might uncover some of the wrestling that you deal with on a daily basis. But the question becomes for us, if we have an anger problem that is much deeper than we realize or want to admit, where is our hope? Where is our solution? And I'm here, here to tell you today that there is hope, there is a remedy, there is a solution to our anger, and guess what? It's found in a place that we would never expect. It's found in a place that we would never look. The remedy for our sinful anger is the anger of God. The remedy for our sinful anger is the anger of God poured out justly upon our sin and our disordered loves. Right? Where do I get saying something like that? Well, in the gospel, we hear this. Romans 1.18 The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Let's be clear. God is slow to anger. Amen? God is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. But listen to this. God is angry. He has wrath, righteous wrath, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, anything that would suppress the truth. In the gospel, we know that God is angry, justly, against our sin, against our disordered love. But in the gospel, we hear this, that God has poured out His anger already on His Son, Jesus Christ. There's no better news than that. 1 John 4, 9, I'm sorry, verse John 4, 10 says this, In this is love. Why are we talking about love when we're talking about anger? Because it's connected, right? It's connected. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son into the world. What? To be the propitiation for our sins. You say, here we go. Mike and his big words, propitiation. Hey, don't blame me. I didn't say it. Propitiation simply means this. God's uh, well, it's the wrath-absorbing sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is, when God sent Jesus into the world, He sent Him to be the very person who would absorb all of God's righteous wrath for our sin, toward our sin. And so if you want remedy for your anger, you must look at the anger of God. You must see it for what it is, 
and see the wonder and joy that all of God's anger against your sin has been dealt with and absorbed in His Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? He poured His anger out on Jesus that He might pour His love into us. Justly. So the remedy for our anger is actually God's anger against our sin. The very cancer that has caused our disordered loves. The, the very thing, the very poison that has, uh, that has twisted our values and kept us from having intimate relationship with God, the very God who has made us. And so now God in His love, because He hated sin. You see, that's the wonderful thing. You say, I can't imagine a God that hates. I can't imagine a God that does not hate. He hates sin. The very thing that is ruining us. And He hates it so much that He's willing to deal with it and absorb it Himself. That is the central message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're dealing with anger today, it's a gospel issue. And guess what? The gospel deals with it in such a way to remedy it and absorb it and to heal it. Not just on the surface, but deep into our soul. That's the gospel. So if you're dealing with anger, hear and respond to the gospel today. Right? Rely upon Jesus. And God will heal your heart. And He'll give you a new one. He'll put His Spirit in you. That's what else the gospel tells us. The gospel tells us that when He deals with our sin, He puts His Spirit into our heart. And Galatians 5 tells us that when the Spirit of God lives inside of us, we begin to have new values, reordered loves. And, and guess what happens? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience. What? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and last of all, self-control. Self-control. The reason we lose it, and there's this turmoil in our hearts that overflow, it's because we don't have control of ourselves. Right? We're in, we are being controlled by this poison known as sinful anger. But when the Spirit of God comes in, He takes residence, and He takes control. Amen? He takes control, and when He does so, the fruit of the Spirit comes out, and we're controlling our emotions. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls, Proverbs 25, 28. A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Self-control, Proverbs 16, 32. I'm sorry, 29, 11. This was one of my favorites as I walked through this in Proverbs because oftentimes when men get angry, they want to show off their strength by you know, slamming a door or their volume by yelling. And they want to flex their muscles and show strength. But what the Scriptures actually say in that moment, when you lose control of your emotions, you're not showing strength. You're showing the very opposite. What? Weakness. You're under control by sinful anger, not the Spirit of God. He says this, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, then he who takes a city. So if you're feeling weak, 
in your struggling. It is, again, going to the gospel and receiving the promise of the gospel, a new heart and a new spirit to be put inside of you. You need God. Cry out to Him. And last, I think, and we can't skip it, the gospel tells us that rest in God's promise, uh, we, can, we can rest in God's promise to judge all that is evil, right? There's something in us when we are wronged, when we are hurt, is to get revenge. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about with the revenge uh, emotion. Uh, I have to confess that I spent quite some time watching Gladiator this week uh, in preparation for this sermon. Raise your hand if you've seen the movie Gladiator. Yes. Why is that movie so awesome? Because there's something about that movie other than, you know, Mr. Crow in his absolute dominance, the whole movie, right? Uh, that taps into something that's very real to us. Revenge, right? Revenge. Killed my wife. You killed my son. I kill you. The rest of the movie, right? There's something very morbid about that, right? That's not what God's heart is, right, for us to take it upon ourselves to get revenge. But yet, we can rest in the vengeance of God. Right? He says in Romans 12, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. So when someone has wronged you, please rest assured in the righteousness of God that says, they will be repaid. But understand this, that for those who know and belong to Jesus, they have already been dealt with in Jesus Christ. And that is a big thing that some of us need to wrestle with this morning. We want people to pay again and again and again. But understand this, that when we trust in Jesus, He takes all of our sin, but He also gives us the ability to appropriate a grace that says, you know what? Jesus paid for my sins, but He also paid for somebody else's sins, and I can let it go. And guess what? If Jesus' uh, grace isn't applied to someone, if they continue in, in unrighteousness and rebellion and rejection... They will indeed pay for their deeds. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. All that is evil, all that is sinful and unrighteous, will pay the penalty of the anger and vengeance of Almighty God. And that is part of our Christian hope. We want evil to be punished, don't we? Right? That's what anger is. I'm against that. Someone needs to deal with that. Someone needs to act, and God will act in that way. We don't have much time, but I want to give you, as we promised, some practical insights into how you might be able to deal with anger more uh, healthily, okay? Here's number one. Identify the foundational idols that prompt your sinful anger. If it's a distorted love, if it's an idol... Let's try to spend some time seeking the Lord about what that idol is. Maybe I can help. When people are late to a meeting that you have scheduled, right? When you get caught in construction on the way to work or an important meeting, and you're so... yeah. Is it possible that you value control and efficiency? more than you value God and other people. Is that your idol? Control? 
efficiency? Maybe not, but maybe it's this. Maybe when somebody disagrees with you or somebody criticizes you in a way that seems to be unfair and you just, that's not right and you want to you wanna set the record straight and you're getting all riled up. You can't sleep and it just eats away at you. Is it possible that you worship the idol of approval? Right? An acceptance of men. When a child does not obey you, somebody say amen. When a child does not obey you, no matter how many times you say clean your room, there is stuff all over the place in that room. No matter how many times uh, uh, you express your opinion, nobody seems to listen or nobody seems to care. Is it possible that your anger is because you worship self-respect? You want to be respected. That's what you love, right? What if you don't get the job you wanted or you get laid off or you had a goal that you set out to achieve and no matter how many years you give your heart to it, it always seems just a little out of your reach and it just drives you absolutely crazy. This isn't fair. It's not right. Is it possible that you worship success and significance? And it's wrong for anyone or anything to take that away from you. Maybe a little silly, but maybe as a family you're sitting down to watch a movie and somebody sits in your seat. Or somebody takes the last blanket Right? Or maybe someone does the unthinkable, asks you to serve them on a Saturday. Dude, it's Saturday. It's my day. What is it? We attach comfort to certain things. And we feel like we deserve it, and we've earned it. And for many of us, we worship the idol of comfort. And if anybody takes it away, it really makes me mad. See, uh, there are things that uh, we love more than we love God. Uh, think on that. Wrestle with that. Identify that. I'd say start there. And then secondly, repent. Turn from those things. Turn to the living God. Focus on the gospel, right? Repent of it. Colossians 3.8 says, Now you must, you must put these all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Repent. Turn from these things. Turn to God. Receive grace, number three. Receive grace in ways that God has chosen to provide. That means engage the word. Focus on the gospel. Remember the anger of God that deals with your anger. Rest there. Next, I think very important, pursue peace in all unreconciled relationships. This is a big one, right? There is someone in your life that has hurt you. And you carry the pain of that. It's very real. It's very personal. And it really upsets you. Uh, and no matter how many uh, uh, 
No matter what you do to, to, to soften the blow, whether you run to alcohol or entertainment or uh, a new friendship to maybe cover up that one that hurt you, uh, no matter what replacement you have, uh, that hurt just goes with you. And the next relationship, it comes up again and again and again. You see, because there's no peace in that relationship. But flip the coin the other way, it's very possible that you have hurt someone else. And you can, you can say, well, but you don't understand. You, don't get, yeah, you, don't, you can make all the excuses in the world. But I think the scriptures are clear that they teach us to, to pursue peace as far as it depends upon you. If anyone has, has, has sinned against you or anyone that you have sinned against, find them. Don't let the sun go down while it's anger. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> don't let the sun go down on your anger. But pursue peace. Maybe the day has come for you to humble yourself, look at that person without an excuse or ending it with the but, but just saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Maybe today you're going to write down the name of that individual and say, I will make peace with them. And here's my encouragement, do it now. Not soon, not tomorrow. Pursue peace. As far as it depends upon you, pursue peace. You will not handle anger without the pursuit of gospel-driven peace. Okay? We could have ten sermons on that. I'm moving on. Next, this one hits a little bit home and then we're pretty much done. You saw that. Definition, anger is excessive distress. It's too muchness. Too much stimulation. You know, this hits a little home, just to be frank a little bit, um, with stuff that Doreen and I have been just praying through and wrestling with. There's always a, a mechanism in my life where I know uh, that I'm in that excessive distress and too muchness. You know, it looks a little bit like this. A little short with my wife, right? Just a little too overwhelmed to deal with the issue. I don't want to deal with that. Or maybe a, a little bit of a lack of patience when I'm tailgating you, right? There's, there are little things, little signs in my life. I go, this is, there's too muchness going on. And I wonder if many of us are dealing with anger because there's too muchness going on, Right? That, that really the admonition that we all need to hear is that we need to temper ambition. Temper ambition and adjust commitments. That might be the biggest thing. When you ask people how they're doing, all that they want to tell you is that they're busy. Temper ambition, make adjustments to your commitments. And see if that doesn't help you deal with the too muchness of life if that doesn't give the ability to handle life in a much more healthy and God-honoring way. I say to her often, I feel like my capacity is outpacing my character. Have any of you ever felt that? I'm able to do this. It's not that I can't do this. I'm able to do this. But the way that I'm doing it is revealing that I don't have the character to handle that. Right? Some of you may be wrestling with the same thing. Your capacity is outpacing your character. Okay, That's a yellow light that becomes a red light fast. 
So please, temper your ambition. Be careful. Not every opportunity is the one that God has for you. Right? If you're living in too muchness, make adjustments. Don't expect any change if you don't make a change. Amen? All right, I'm done. Next, be angry without sinning. Right? This seems kind of odd. I'm telling you to deal with anger by being angry. Well, listen, it's a sin to not be angry. It's commanded. Be angry without sinning. Right? So some of you have anger issues because you're not angry. You actually don't give a rip. Nothing bothers you. Right? You drive past a homeless guy. Who cares? I don't have anger issues. Right? I'm not angry at anything. That's sin. There's something that we should be angry about. Right? God is angry. We represent Him. We want to be slow to anger, just like James says. But we're to be angry about things that are truly evil. Again, the way we respond is important. Scriptures speak to that. But there are things that should tick us off in a holy way. Again, I'm not talking about blowing our top and losing control. I'm not talking about that. But when we look at the injustices and evil in the world, we should look at it and, and, and we should be angered by it. it should, we should look at it and say, I'm against that. And I'm not talking about protesting all the time with sandwich boards and bullhorns. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there are things in the world where we should look at them and say, nope, I'm against that. So some of your anger issues are because you're not even angry. So please, look around the world. Let the Spirit of God speak to you and get in a very holy and tempered way frustrated with society and what we're wrestling with. Get frustrated at your own sins. Stop being so indifferent and apathetic to things that really mattered. Let your reordered love lead you to God-honoring anger. And by the way, don't sin. That's what the Scriptures say. And when you're angry, don't just go to the diner and gripe with your buddies. That sounds like fun to me, actually. Don't go to the diner and just gripe with your buddies, right? Don't go on Facebook and start a revolution. A revolution is never started on Facebook. Viral has given us this idea that if I put my opinions out on Facebook and I just let, you know, leader so-and-so or person B, I'm going to let them have it like, man, we have really rocked the world. We're, we are world changers. Guess what? You're not. We're doing nothing but griping. Right? If you're angry about something that is truly worth being angry about, do something about it. I think about all the uh, foster care, uh, the children in the foster care system. And you guys know the very couples I'm talking about. Where you see kids that are abandoned. Don't just get mad about it. Do something about it. And there are people in our midst and across our, our nation, Christians who love Jesus, who see the father's heart to adopt children into his family. Uh, right? And what do they do? They say, you know what? That is not right. I'm against that. And they adopt children. Right? Serve Syracuse. We had him a couple weeks ago. Listen, there are marginalized, unprotected, uncared for, under-resourced people in our city. That makes us mad in a godly way. We're going to do something about it. Okay? And it's not just out there. 
It applies to home. Right? Don't just be, uh, don't be indifferent to the sins and struggles in your home. Be angry that sin takes root and then act in a way to bring about redemptive change. Seven principles to anger management. Mike Maisie. Here's the deal. The gospel is the only remedy for our sinful anger. And it awakens within us uh, a godly anger. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this is complex and it is beyond us and there are many people in this room that are wrestling and struggling with very real sinful anger and righteous anger. They don't know what to do with it. They're, they're strangled by it. I just pray that you would pour out your spirit into every heart in this room. That we would be angry people, but based on our reordered loves and the gospel of Jesus to bring about kingdom values in our world. I pray that you would bring healing to those who've been hurt, that you would bring forgiveness in relationships, that you establish peace in the midst of families. Oh God, would you do a work in our midst. Heal our anger. Remedy our sin in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have done so. May we trust in it and rest in it. May we hope in the day that you will make all evil right. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.